Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome back. It is Tuesday, August 30th, 2022, 7 a.m. here in Spotswood, and it's looking to be a uh, kind of a cloudy day out there. Pretty sunrise this morning, though. Um, I hope this Tuesday finds all of you doing very well. Advertisements continue. Y'all, if you're missing out on special services at, uh, at Old Providence, you, you are really missing out. Um, last night, fabulous, fabulous job by Mr. Alex Pettit in, in leading our service, um, his focus on gospel unity and on the value of being part of the family of God. Well, really corresponds to where we are in our study in John chapter 8. But Alex has done a wonderful job. He's got to head home today, but Reverend Lee Shellnut is probably going to be getting in the car any minute here to start heading our way um, to, to bring the message tonight. And do make a commitment. If you're an old Providence person, make the commitment to be here. Um, Lee, I, I thought that he got back from Rwanda on Saturday. It turns out that he got back from Rwanda yesterday and is making the four-hour trip to be in Spotswood today and preach tonight and tomorrow night. Talk about commitment. I hope that you will commit. If you are a local, if you're part of Old Providence, that you will commit to being here tonight at 7 p.m. or at Old Providence at 7 p.m. And then tomorrow night, our closing night of special services where we will have our ice cream social tomorrow night at 7 p.m. and the social is after. Now, advertisements are over. We're picking up today where we left off. And where did we leave off? Well, in John chapter 8, we were dealing with Jesus's conversation with the Pharisees, right? Jesus offered testimony concerning himself according to them, and so his testimony wasn't valid. Um, this is over the this is after the crowd started arguing over whether Jesus was the Messiah or not. At the beginning of chapter eight, the Pharisees bring to him the woman caught in adultery to try to trap Jesus. Of course, he is not trapped by their little scheme. But then the Pharisees challenge him. They go back and forth. We talked about this extensively, right? How it's not fair to say that Jesus was just testifying about himself. You had his contemporaries testifying, like John the Baptist testifying to who he was and is. You have all of the scriptures pointing to who he was and is throughout the Old Testament, starting all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. And certainly... That is baptism, a voice from the sky, right? From the sky. Behold, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So when Jesus uh, responded to this criticism that he was only testifying about himself, um, he makes note of the fact that what well, my father has testifi testified about me. The Pharisees, of course, ask who his father is. They don't know him, right? And that's brings us to that ever so important point. If you don't know God, you won't know Jesus and vice versa. If you don't know Jesus, you're not going to know God the Father. You cannot draw a line of distinction between them. Now, I'm not saying that they are the same. We're not into modalism or anything like that. Um, we affirm creed, all of these things, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I'm not denying any of that. However, Jesus is the means by which we know the Father. And these Pharisees didn't know either. Remember yesterday, too, um, I read that Calvin quote, right? And it comes from his commentary when he deals with verse 21 about Jesus. It says, once more, Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. 
where I go, you cannot come. Calvin wrote, perceiving that he is doing no good among these obstinate men, he threatens their destruction. And this is the end of all those who reject the gospel, for it is not thrown uselessly into the air, but must breathe the odor either of life or death. And yesterday we sort of capped things off by talking about the reality of when the gospel goes out. You know, God tells us his word never goes out and returns void. The same thing is true with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as a minister of the gospel, I preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as a follower of Christ, you ought to share the gospel of Jesus Christ so that people will be transformed by the gospel. Right? It's through the gospel that people are saved. The Holy Spirit gives eyes that can see, ears that can hear, hearts that are not. It shatters hearts of stone so that they will beat as hearts of flesh. That's why we share the gospel, so people will hear, accept, and believe. However, when people do not, when they reject, it is not as though the gospel has failed. For as Calvin points out very clearly, the gospel also goes out as an indictment. So the men are without excuse. Now, there are times when we might be tempted to preach the gospel for the latter reason as opposed to the former. That's not our business. That's the Lord's business. And if that's your attitude, that you preach to only convict or that you share to only convict, well, then you may not know Jesus yourself. Right. Um, because understanding the gospel means understanding how sinful you are, how sinful I am, how desperately we need the Lord Jesus Christ. And without him, there is no other way of salvation. The Pharisees missed it. They missed everything that Jesus was saying about himself. They missed the signs that revealed. Remember, miracles throughout the gospel, according to John, that term sign is used. The value of the sign is not just in the sign, not really primarily in the sign. The value of the sign is in what the sign points to. And what the signs point to is that the kingdom of God is at hand and that Jesus there amongst them is the Messiah. You throw in all of these I am statements that he's using, which, by the way, drive the Pharisees nuts. You throw these in and you see that Jesus is not just any man that you're dealing with. He's God, the son there with them, and he will not be denied. So that's what we ended with yesterday and where we pick up today is with the Jews further retorts, right? Their further discussion with Jesus. And we'll see how blind they are, y'all, how lost they are in sin. Let's pray and we'll dig in. Father, please be with us now in this time. Help us to understand it. If your Holy Spirit does not guide us, we will not see. We will stumble along. We might come away with anecdotes. We might gain some knowledge that we can tuck away. But, Father, without application, without seeing what your word means for our life, for our existence, for what you've called us to do, we're, we're left woefully wanting. So please guide us now by your spirit. Turn the lights on so that we will see. And we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so yesterday we finished the section that ends in verse 30. We're picking up in verse 31, all right? Now, again, as a reminder of where we left yesterday, you have this dynamic where those who had rejected Jesus just become harder in their hearts, right? They, they become even more angry. Um, they start to plot even more. However, as we read yesterday, there were those that would believe in him. Right. Verse 30, even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. 
So we pick up in verse 31 and it says, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Pause right there for just a moment. Y'all know I give warnings, right? You're probably used to this at this point if you're one of the regulars here. And one of the warnings that I offer is beware bumper sticker theology, right? Beware refrigerator magnet theology. Beware desk calendar theology. And what is that? That's when one little old verse is taken and applied in all sorts of ways when it's read out of its context. One of the, y'all, this applies to lots of different verses. You know, judge not lest ye be judged is probably the number one culprit. I think I've shared with y'all, and I should have looked up the exact reference, but I remember seeing the, it, it, it must have been a lady's desk calendar because it was nice and flowers and that sort of stuff. And um, what was quoted in it was, worship me and all shall be thine. And you say, oh, well. That's lovely. That was the little verse of the day. Well, it's lovely until you look up who said it. And it's what Satan said to Jesus. Okay, so be careful when you take little snippets out of context and then just go and run with them. Right. That's what we do with judging. People do that here. Right. Especially verse 32. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That is used for all kinds of purposes. But the context of it is where we started in verse 31, where Jesus tells us what real discipleship is, what it really means to hold to his teachings, right? To hold to his teachings is real discipleship. Real discipleship is holding to his teachings. And that's an important message for any age. It's an important message for any time, for any culture. But isn't it an especially important message for our culture? Our culture that has all these nominal ties, you know, nominal means in name only, where people say, oh, yes, I'm a fill in the blank or I identify with fill in the blank cause. Right. And most of the time people don't. It's just something they argue over. Right. And there's very little real commitment in the world around us except a commitment or to commit to ourselves. Right. Selfishness is what we see on display. But you have all of these camps of people and all of these ways that we classify ourselves and things that we say are important and all of this stuff. Right. But Jesus cuts through all of that and he tells us what real discipleship is, what it really means to follow him. And y'all, it ought to make sense. It does make sense. It's only logical. If you call yourself a follower of Christ, you're going to follow the things that he teaches, right? There's no such thing as saying, oh, yes, I'm a follower of Christ. Um, what about all these things that he teaches over there? Mm, yeah. You know, I, I don't know. As I say often enough in here, right, there is a cafeteria approach to Christianity, especially in our culture, that is just horrible, y'all. You know, the cafeteria approach, yeah, cafeterias are becoming a thing of the past. My favorite was JNS cafeteria. There's still one in Asheville, I think. Oh, man, the country style steak, mashed potatoes. Above reproach, right? But you know what it's like to go to those old cafeterias. There's a K&W in Roanoke here, I think, still. But you, know, you walk in, you get your tray. It's usually a meat and two, a meat and three. It's, you can go nuts. You know, you can get whatever you want. You got to pay for it. 
but you go through and you look at the salads and you might say, okay, yeah, um, yeah, fine. Give me a, give me a, a congealed salad, but why don't you hang on to that broccoli salad? And then you get to the entrees and you say, yes, the country style steak and I'll do mashed potatoes and I'll do corn, but, uh, you know, why don't you just hang on to the lima beans, right? That's kind of the mentality that some folks have with Christianity. It's the mentality that we're all tempted to have. That we take those teachings of Jesus that we like, that resonate with us, and we say, oh, yes, I'll have that, and seconds, please. But those teachings of Christ that we don't like, those are the ones that we say, oh, no, 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 thanks. You just hang on to that yourself. And for different people, it can be different things, right? The idea of the pursuit of holiness. You know, Jesus says here, if you hold to my teachings, you're really my disciples. Um, in John 14, 15, Jesus is going to say, if you love me, you'll follow my commandments. Now, we will deal with this when we get there, right? This is not Jesus saying you have to be perfect to follow him. Y'all, if you could be perfect without Jesus, then Jesus wouldn't have come in the first place for you to follow him, right? So we'll take that in measure when we get there. Um, but what Jesus is referring to here is the striving, the desire, the want to. And most of our time, our problem is our want to is busted. We can't have this mentality where we say, okay, yes, Jesus, all the way, I'm in with you. And then say, but these teachings over there, you know, it, it can be lots of different things. It can be the pursuit of holiness. It can be the idea of loving your enemies. My goodness, that can be a very difficult one. It can be the idea of not thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to think. And by the way, Jesus' teachings, y'all, this isn't just the red letters. Remember who you're dealing with here. He's the living word. This means all of the teachings of God's word, all of it. If you're going to follow Jesus, it's not just, you can't do this Jesus conference thing where it's like, okay, well, the red letters are what I'm going to really pay attention to because those are the things that Jesus actually said. Oh, Jesus is the living word, all of the word. He's the logos, right? So you can't turn your back on the teachings of God's word and at the same time call yourself a follower of Christ. Practically speaking, logically speaking, because that's what a disciple is. But also you can't do it because of what you get when you do. And no, I'm not talking about eternal life that you get from doing good works. Remember, we can't achieve eternal life. We can't work our way into God's favor. The only thing we contribute to our salvation, Spurgeon said this, the only thing we contribute to our salvation is the sin that makes it necessary in the first place. But all what you do get through following Jesus Christ, amongst other things, and this isn't exhausting, I'm just going to talk about what he says next. When you follow him, when you have the understanding that his word is authoritative for life, when you take on the philosophy that ours is the task of obedience, faithfulness, steady as she goes, that our task is to obey and leave the consequences to God, that's when Jesus says, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Why? Because my friends, and I call you friends because I am your friend, it is only through rejecting the slavery of this world. It is only through breaking through the mold. I always think of the matrix with this, right? Remember, 
You might not have seen that, but uh, Morpheus offered Neo the red pill or the blue pill. If he took the one pill, he would just go back to sleep and he'd wake up in the Matrix again, blissfully unaware of everything that happened. But if he took, I think it was the red pill, and I probably messed that up, then they would pull him out of the Matrix and he would know the truth and he'd never be able to go back. Right? That's what it works like when, when we follow God. When we are saved, when he gives us eyes that can see, the eyes that can see don't only see him. They see the truth of the world around us. And to that end, Jesus tells us the truth around us. After this, uh, verse 33, they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. And we are, oh, uh, yeah, sorry, I, I thought I skipped ahead. Verse 32, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? And I'm going to come back to that. But to what I was saying about the slaver of the world, verse 34, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Y'all, as you consider Jesus's words here, don't they bear out? As you consider the world around you, how the world has this philosophy of individualism and uniqueness, and yet it's just one striving mass. How the world promises things like meaning, belonging, purpose. And usually they're just trying to sell you something. Or they're trying you trying to get you to compete in some sort of cause. Um where often enough you dig into things, it's grand hypocrisy. Y'all, the world offers meaning and hope in so many ways, but never delivers. How do we know? Because the world offers meaning and hope by different means all the time. What they try to use is never sufficient. It never satisfied. It never delivers anything except for more hurt and loss and heartache because the world is absolutely immersed in sin. As a result, the world is in slavery. It's in bondage. The only freedom that we have is in Christ. The way that our chains are broken is through Jesus Christ, through being adopted into the family of God. That's why verse 35, Jesus continues by saying, now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I have many favorite verses throughout God's Word. My goodness, it's sometimes that John 8, 36 becomes my absolute favorite. What a reminder. What a poignant promise from Jesus, our Savior, that in Him alone there is freedom. Don't buy what the world's selling. It never delivers. Trust in him alone. Now, when we come back tomorrow, we're going to pick up in verse 35, or excuse me, verse 33 there, this whole business about we're Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. That's one of those moments where you might be tempted to say, really? Really? Never slaves of anyone? But it exposes a problem. We're going to get to that tomorrow. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for giving us this technology, this ability to be together. Help us to see 
the truth. And that the truth is that you call us to follow you, to reject the world, to follow you. And in you alone is freedom. We praise you that the Son of Man has set us free. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Well, I'd like to thank you all for being a part of this time. Lord willing, we'll be back tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. Again, if you're local, come to Old Providence tonight at 7 p.m. I know that you will be blessed. Lee is a fantastic speaker, and we're going to have a wonderful time. Until then, uh, have a great day, and hopefully we'll see you soon.